what is it like to win something four consecutive times? I mean, if you were in a cupcake competition, baking cupcakes, Trots, you know, they'd come gunning for you the second time, the third time, the fourth time. So it doesn't matter what kind of competition we're in in life. Was dealing with a dynasty different than just winning with a championship year? Did it create a different kind of weight on you? Uh, how was it different? I don't want to share someone else's thoughts. I want to create my own original thoughts. I want to create my own original solutions. I want to look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words, and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down. Well, hello, hello, everybody. I'm John Taffer. Welcome to the John Taffer Podcast. Well, this week's going to be a little fun, Corey. I have a surprise guest that I'm going to talk to you all about. Due to what's going on in the world of sports, uh, we made a little change. We moved Phil Wills back a week or two and, and brought in a surprise guest who I'll tell you about in a minute. And uh, boy, there's a lot going on, Corey. So the debate was last night. I Did you get a chance to watch it at all, Corey? I did. I turned it off about halfway. Why? Because you were so disappointed? I just, I, I couldn't make sense of anything that was they were saying, either, either yeah. side. You know, it's interesting. You wonder, did either side actually make a poignant point that lasted with you? It was so chaotic they didn't. You know, I looked at Nicole at the end of it. I forced myself to watch the whole thing. And I did force myself to watch the whole thing because it was the word I used to Nicole was just disappointing. And it's just really disappointing. And, you know, I think that we're better than that. You know, I, I, I think that you, myself, Corey, the people who we all know in our worlds, I think we're better than that. And, you know, look, I scream at people, I throw food at people, I this and that. But, you know, they've given me the license to do that because they've all watched Bar Rescue. They know if I'm going to come to their operation. They know that I'm going to be tough as hell. They know I'm going to get angry. They know I'm going to push them, Corey, right? right. They also know I'm going to give them, a, you know, a very expensive remodel and a whole new concept and a whole new sign as well. So they've weighed it all and they've made a decision to bring me in and empower me to try to help them in four days, which creates all this tension and a... But Corey, have I ever thrown food at you? No, no. You have don't. I ever screamed at you? No. No, I've gotten we've gotten frustrated from time to time with yeah, each other, yeah. of course, right? In in a moment, so when we do creative projects and stuff together. But but my point is, there's a barometer. There, there's a certain license that we have in life and the way we treat each other. Now, if Corey looked at me and said, you know, you're right, and and you know, said everything rude to me, well, he's now given me license to treat him the way he's treated me. And if Corey treats me with respect, then I'm going to treat him with respect. And I know I do. So, so, you know, once we all step out of these boxes of normal behavior and move into this area of personal attack or, or, or rudeness or, or, or disrespect for, for environments or procedures or rules, when we step out, then we give license for everybody to step out who's involved in the process as well. And it's sort of what's happened in our politics, Corey, and it's unfortunate. And I do not blame one side over the other. I blame both sides because certainly uh, 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 one side can be every bit as divisive as another can. One can, can insult each other every much. And the, uh, one side lies. The amount of lies last night on both sides were just incredible. So what do we do? You know, what do we do when, when people step out of the box of normalcy of what is expected and now we all have a license to behave in ways that we wouldn't have. You know, I look online, Corey, and I look at the political posts that people make online and the way strangers insult each other today. These people never met. Yeah. They don't know each other. They don't know if he's a father, a grandfather, a child. He could be the greatest son, greatest father in the world. But online, somebody is making him a complete scoundrel because he has a political view on something that I might add probably about half the country uh, uh, also shares on either side of the political uh, persuasions. So, you know, one side is about half the country. The other side is about half the country. Well, half of the people can't say the other half are crazy, Corey. That doesn't work. Half of the world isn't crazy. 2% maybe, 3% maybe. I don't know, Corey, but certainly not half. Mm -mm. So when we get into this, environment where we throw away the norms of behavior and give each other license to step out of it as well, that's when we see what happened last night. And we see communication lost. 
We see important issues that could have been discussed in detail lost. We see all of this lost, and I'm going to use your word, Corey. I think you said it was chaos, right? It was disorder. You you couldn't make any sense out of it. That's what happens from disorder. And what we saw last night, in essence, was disorder. And I believe that that applies to, to, to any type of disorder whether it's, it's disrespect, whether it's rude behavior, whether it's personal attacks, whether it's riots, whether it's burning, whether it's looting, all of these types of behavior give people license around that you to act with the same type of parameters. You break the rules, they break the rules. So how do we stop that cycle? And when I watched last night, Corey, that was the most distressing part of it for me, was where does this end? And I believe either candidate wins, uh, the divisiveness continues. I believe the riots continues. If, if one man remains, I believe there's a lot to fight and argue about. If a new person comes in, a lot of people are going to fight and argue in position to change that individual's minds. Either way, the divisiveness continues. And I plead to us all to try to find a solution in our own circles. But, you know, it's interesting. When, when I look at what's going on here, in, uh, I'm in Buford, Georgia, sitting in my bus. And those of you who've been following this podcast know I'm opening Taffer's Tavern now in Alpharetta, Georgia, and I'm incredibly excited about it. Corey, when are you coming? I don't know. We're, we're working out the dates. But okay. uh, next couple weeks. Next couple weeks. And we've, we've had time-lapse cameras in there building it. Now, I won't let cameras inside yet. It's top secret what we've done. But I'm going to tell you, we've built the kitchen of the future, the bar of the future, the equipment, the technologies. I'm very, very proud of what we've done. And, Corey, you've gotten to see some of the pictures because you're putting together all the videos and stuff. Are you surprised by what you've seen? Oh, my God. It, it's, it's ridiculous. And it looks exactly like all the renderings that we, you know, got yeah. before. And it's, it's exact. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. So a lot of people don't know, we started working on Taffer's Tavern two years ago. That's how long this takes. And you can remember when we started, Corey. And, you know, it started with just an idea of this kitchen in the future and technology and cooking and cooking with light and ultraviolets and, and steam and, and, you know, taking the finest of technologies and food preparation and putting them together and then the, to determining the menu that we would have and then building the design elements and the concepts and the music and the video and the video walls and all the various elements of the concept together to create something really special. And what's amazing to me is, is you're right, Corey, how much it looks exactly like what we envisioned. And it's really fun to watch a creative process go through like this. And, and we're very excited to show everybody in the next couple of weeks or so, we'll start to put out pictures and staff has been hired and we're training right now. Our management team is on board. As a matter of fact, this afternoon, the health inspection is happening in the facility. So it's a very, very exciting time for us in the world at Taffer. Uh, uh, seltzers are continuing to do great. Our mixers are doing great. If you haven't tried our spicy bloody Mary mix, go to Walmart, go, go to a local distributor, go to a local liquor store. You got to try it. I'm really, really proud of it. Corey, we're starting to win awards and get acclaims all over the country from it. Wow. And another thing, it takes us a year to perfect these recipes and get them bottled and put them all together. So it's a lot of fun when you work hard on something for so long to see it come to fruition. And then the greatest pleasure of mine, Corey, is when we open Taffer's Tavern to take a look at the looks on people's faces when they walk in. And I don't think I've ever said this before. My favorite time of every Bar Rescue episode, and people might not know this, when I do one, two, three, go, and they turn around and see it, and then I talk to them for a moment, and then after I talk to them for a moment, I say to them, you guys ready to see it? Okay, go ahead. After I say go ahead, I run like hell (laughs) to get to the trailer. Yes, to get to the trailer because I want to watch their reactions when they walk in on camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that's my favorite moment in Bar Rescue. And unfortunately, it's not on camera. Nobody's ever seen it. But we have a, a tech trailer that we travel with that has six or seven or eight video monitors in it. So we see all the cameras and, and everything going at once. So I get to see their facial expressions. Then when they go inside, I get to hear all the, oh, my God, wow, look at this. Oh, look at this. This is fucking amazing, John. Oh, my God. And it, it's so much fun to see people react to the work that you've done. And, and you know... I equate that sort of that moment, Corey, to almost like a championship in sports. You know, that that there's this moment and you've built for it and you've prepared and you've trained. And in our case, the training is in test kitchens and with designers and engineers and architects. And we put it all together and I'm the coach and I'm leading the team of all these players and all these people. And we put it together and then it's opening night and then we unlock the door and people walk in. And at that moment, when I see those, I'm a champion. 
at that moment, we're all winning teams, Corey. At that moment, you're a champion, buddy. Sean's a champion. Alan, everybody's a champion who's on our team at that moment. And it's amazing how business success and sports championships, you know, can be so alike. And I started thinking, you know, I'm a big hockey fan. Those of you know, who, who know me know that we've had Ryan Reeves and Nate Schmidt and a number of athletes on our show. And this past two weeks, I've had the chance to work with the National Hockey League, and I've been hosting a show called Pre-Gaming on a National Hockey League uh, online networks and such. And I've had a number of guests, and I've gotten to talk to a lot of Stanley Cup championship winners and a lot of athletes these past few weeks. And, you know, it's interesting how their approach to sports and winning is no different than our approach to winning in life or winning in our jobs and our professions or our educational lives. And I had a chance to talk to one of the greatest professionals I've ever spoken with. Now, when somebody wins a hockey Stanley Cup for the NHL, you got to play about 100 games to get there, Corey, correct? Uh, yeah, at least. How many thousands of fights you're going to get in? How many times you're going to be smashed up against the walls, checked, forechecked? How many times you're going to get hit with a hockey stick, hit with a puck? It is the most physical game in all of sports, and I will hold my ground on that, period. Now, NFL can be rough, but they're not playing 100 games either, Corey. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're not playing three games a week, four games a week. So it's a completely different animal. So winning a Stanley Cup championship is the result of going through a war for a year, a physical war of endurance and injuries, and unlike anything in, uh, uh, in, in sports. And there hasn't been a dynasty in a long time. But Brian John Trottier is a Canadian-American former hockey league center, a centerman, who played for the New York Islanders and was a centerman for the last dynasty in the history of hockey, which was the New York Islanders in the early 80s, four consecutive Stanley Cups. Corey, you'll never see that again in life. Right, That'll yeah. never happen again. And how do you deal with a championship four times? Corey, the second time, they're gunning for you, buddy. Third okay. time, forget about it. Everybody wants to take you down. The fourth time, oh, their dream is to beat you. So how do you win in the first place? But how do you come back and do it four freaking times? Plus, think about and, the fans on that fourth time. I mean, everybody's doubting it. There's no way they're doing it the fourth time. So there's, you Good know. point. And the press is saying, nah, nah, I don't ever. Right. Yeah. So you think of all the forces. And then think about a hockey player. They fight like hell on the ice. They're incredibly competitive. They smash into each other. But yet they still respect each other off the ice. At the end of every hockey game, they all shake hands. They line up, they high-five each other, and it's like the fight 10 minutes ago never happened. You're ready to kill each other. They have figured out a balance that society needs to freaking learn. The balance of competition, tension, and respect. And the fact that they can go together. And so... When I think about that balance and four Stanley Cups, but Brian didn't just win four Stanley Cups. He won, he won four Stanley Cups with the Islanders. Then he came and won two with the Penguins. Now we're up to six. Then he was an assistant coach for the Colorado Avalanche and won a seventh as a coach. This is a guy who knows how to win. This is also a guy who knows how to build relationships, build success, build careers. And since the Stanley Cup is going on right now, Corey, and it's pretty freaking exciting, I might add, the overtimes have been unbelievable. I could think of nobody more timely to have on our podcast right now than Brian Trottier, who's a four-time, what am I saying, seven-time Stanley Cup winner. Not only to talk about hockey, we got to do that all week long on pre-gaming. I want to talk to Trotz about life competing, winning, overcoming adversity, playing with a team, playing with people you don't like, having to be with people you don't like, having to motivate yourself. There are so many things I want to talk to Trotz about. So when I come back, I'll be with Brian, John Trottier. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. You know, it, it, it's fun. We've never been in the same room together, but I can call Brian a friend. We're buddies, right? Right, Trots? 
Super pals, I call it, John. I, I love it. I love it. I just love, I feed off your energy. And when you're with good people, you feel, you feel the vibe. So, hey, thank you. Uh, same way, man. Friend. Same way. It's not so easy to interview people. And especially these days when we can't be in the same room together and, you know, the awkwardness of the delays and, and, and but uh, those who don't know, uh, Trotz and I got to do uh, two of my pre-gaming shows with NHL, which uh, uh, thank you, a New Amsterdam Vodka, for making that happen. But it was a blast for me because I get to talk bars and sometimes politics, and but I don't ever really get to talk hockey that way. So it was a blast for me, Trotz, to even get to do that series. And, and those of you who are curious to see it, you can find it on the NHL sites, and it's pre-gaming. And, and Trotz and I got to do two episodes together. And we talked a lot of hockey. Got you to know, mix and, a couple of drinks. Make, mix a couple of yeah. drinks, which, by the way, you, you, you yeah. hold a bottle. I can see that there's experience to the way you hold that <laughs> bottle, Trotz. You can just tell when someone has held a bottle before. <laughs> I was designated driver most of my life. Let me enjoy this time of my life now. This is, I, this is enjoyable. But no, I, I hear you. So, I, so your you. grip. That was, that was fun. Your grip on a bottle is not quite like your grip on a hockey stick. But, you know, for those who don't know, Trotz was part of the last real dynasty in hockey uh, with the Islanders in the early 80s, four Stanley Cups in a row. And when you think about yourself, uh, even if you're not a sports fan, if you think about what is it like to win something four consecutive times? I mean, if you were in a cupcake competition, baking cupcakes, Trotz, you know, they'd come gunning for you the second time, the third time, the fourth time. So it doesn't matter what kind of competition we're in in life. Was dealing with a dynasty different than just winning with a championship year? Did it create a different kind of weight on you? Uh, how was it different to be part of a dynasty? You know, the, the dynasty, uh, we never thought of ourselves as a, as a dynasty. Uh, Bill Torrey, our general manager in Al Arbor, were really good at keeping us level-headed and not get big-headed and not get so big and so proud that we kind of became, um, I don't know, superstars in our own mind or uh, prima donnas, I think was the word they used often. I didn't like that word. I just thought prima donnas doesn't sound nice. Um, yeah, that's not you and, at all. So we, so we, so coming from you know small parts of Canada and Sweden and different parts of the world, there was like a uh, a, a joining of and, and a union and a bond that is created and support. So in order for us to be successful, we had to lean on each other. We had to care about each other, and it's a it's a it's a kind of brotherly love. And that connection, I think propels you and I think maintains a certain level of competition. So we were young and we called ourselves young and dumb, but at the same time we were, uh, we, we stayed healthy through those four year run, almost the fifth. And uh, I think that core group, I think really had a, a unique friendship, a unique talent, and um, we all responded in the right way. So, um, Long Island was great for us because we could, we could celebrate with them. Uh, we could, we could uh, be a part of the community and they really embraced us um, and let us grow up and uh, make some mistakes and flounder at times, but always the support was there. And I think that, I think magnified that uh, identity that we wanted to have about Long Island and uh, the, the guys were great. And we talk about it all the time today. Billy Smith, Mike Boss, we all remember those times on Long Island as our young adult lives. That was just, just so fresh in our brains still. It's, it's fantastic. That dynasty is going to be tough. Like we ended up, John, having 19 series in a row. And that's going to be hard for a team to duplicate when, you, when you're on a run and you're going for five straight Stanley Cups and you got to win series after series after series stay healthy, avoid the, the bad bounce, the referee call or whatever you want to call it, but I, the hot goalie, and boom, we were able to achieve something. I think it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to have dynasties. Now you get a two- or three-year dynasty. And, it's a big and deal. It's incredible. So uh, that four years was a fun run. You know, it's interesting. I guess you could say it's sort of that way in all sports. 
those yeah. dynasty years. You know, I look back at the Yankees and the Lakers or the Celtics, you know, and you look at a lot of those dynasties and none of them, I think, could ever quite happen again. And, you know, I guess you could say that somewhat because of greater excellence in coaching, greater excellence in play, you know, maybe a better uh, managed or draft process, right, to create some creative balance in the teams. But I guess it's all those things working together that, that cause that lack of dynasty. And I guess that's all good, isn't it? You, it does. And it brings out the very best um, performances when you have a high level of competition. Like, yeah. it's, it, it's nice to have kind of a, an easy night, we used to call it, if we got up against one of the lower placed teams in the league. But you don't have that. Parity is so close. And you, you, you as a sports fan understand like all those things, the, the drafting and, you know, the coaching aspect of it and general managers. And there's just a real kind of a, a magnified high level of um, intensity and focus that organizations are putting on everything. The players are sitting on the, on, on the bench now with, with, with pads looking at their shift that they just did. And I think that's almost information overload, but this is this generation. I mean, we, we'd sit there and think about our next shift. They're just, they're, they're refreshing their mind about the shift they just had and what they, what they can do to improve on it. Yeah. And that's just technology. And I think that's fun. Um, it, I, I don't know if I could do it, but I, I'd like to try You make the money they're making. But at the same time, all those things are irrelevant. Cause like you said it, you said it best. It just brings out the very, very best in, uh, in sports at every level. It doesn't matter whether you're at, um, the NHL level, the American Hockey League level, the junior hockey level, all these coaches, all these players are so focused and they're like, you know, just fantastic athletes. They're like uh, thoroughbreds racing in, the, in, the, in, a, in a race. They're, they're so well fine-tuned and, you know, their diet and everything. But I'm, I'm, I'm overly impressed. It was a very entertaining playoff. I was very, very impressed with goaltending and goal scoring, the intense, in, in, in spite of the fact there's no stand, uh, fans in the stands they played at a great hot very high level of energy so god bless them i'm very proud of the nhl and our hockey guys god they did a great job you know i had nate smith on this podcast a few weeks ago actually just before the series started and uh he was talking about how the lack of fans gave him a chance to almost be more focused on his play that the distractions of family and tickets and, you know, all of these things and, and all of that was gone. And it was really about him, the puck in the ice. And, and he thought that actually helped him almost be more focused than he would normally have been. Do you think so? I, I, yeah, I never thought of it that way. I think there is some outside distractions that kind of take your focus away. So I never thought of that. And I think, yeah. uh, I hope a lot of the players got to, got to feel the same as, as Nate did, but I think for, for our generation um, and, you know, for the, for the players that I hope they get the fans back because I think that energy from the crowd just really kind of ebbs and flows the game a little bit more because when the NHL was putting the soundtrack over top of the, the play, yeah. they did a real nice job of bringing that level up from the television viewers point of view, like even better. They, they had some great sound effects going there okay. right at the right time, the right level. I was like, that was very yeah. impressive. Uh, and I thought I the lighting and the signage, around. I thought the lighting, the signage, the way they dressed the arena. I mean, it was first class. I don't think any league is doing it quite to the level and detailing that the NHL did. And, and of course, I'm a hockey fan. But, but still, uh, uh, you know, I think visually you look at the way the games have been executed. I just think the NHL did a great job. So, you know, Trotz, you, you grew up in Canada, correct? Yes. Western part of Canada, Saskatchewan, plains of Saskatchewan, right above Montana. Real cowboy country, kind of like a lot of cattle, a lot of... A lot of farming, uh, very rural, uh, but, uh, you know, like we all were sports fans. We all thought we we're going to the NHL or to the Major League Baseball. I, was a, I, was, I actually liked baseball. I, I played baseball in our little town more than we played hockey because it was a longer season. You could start baseball mm. in March and finish in November. Hockey yeah. was November to February. And then because we had natural ice, we didn't have artificial ice in our little town. But uh, – but we played. We played as much as we possibly could. Street hockey. We, we we still played it. But it was fun being a sports fan in those little remote areas of uh, of, of the world because I think you you dream big, and yeah. uh, you know you're a little jealous, so you have to feel oh, I got to work a little harder, or maybe something like that. But no, it was it was fun growing up in that part of the world. How old were you the first time you said to yourself, "I want to be a professional hockey player"? 
I believe, and, and John, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering about eight years old. So I was about eight. And I remember watching Hockey Night in Canada. It was the Stanley Cup Finals. And of course, we're all hockey fans. And, um, you know, hockey playoffs are, mag are magnificent. And yep. Montreal Canadiens were just handed the Stanley Cup. Jean, Jean Belbeau, the captain, one of the greatest, most graceful players in the history of the game, much like Mario Lemieux, in my mind, grabbed the Stanley Cup and he pumped it over as he's passing to somebody. And I remember turning to my mom and dad and said, I want to raise the Stanley Cup over my head like John Beliveau did. And that's when I really kind of felt like, oh, my God, that's got to be one of the greatest feelings in the world is to be able to grab that Stanley Cup, pump it up over your head and feel like a champion. Because it is a it is it's got to be the toughest trophy to win. I and it, it just sure. looks spectacular when they bring it out. It's that, that shine about it. It looks like the holy grail of hockey. And um, we're so proud of that, that trophy because it has such tradition and such history. The hands that have held on to it, the names that are engraved on it. And you know the sweat and the blood, and, you know, the yeah. perseverance, the dedicate, all that stuff is, is almost etched in that cup. And you yeah. can almost feel it when you grab you it. So it. There's so many, there's so, there, there, there's so many reasons. And I said, but I believe I was about eight years old. I skated when I was six, seven. But when I got to be eight and, you know, started playing a little more organized hockey with my buddies. And, of course, we're all dreaming about playing the NHL one time. There's only six teams in those those days. They didn't have expansion until 66, 67. So trust. One in the early 70s. So there weren't a lot of teams until the early 70s. And then you just kind of keep dreaming big. You keep hoping mm -hmm. and a door opens, you try to jump through that door, a window opens, you try to squeeze through that window. And for me, it was junior hockey and an injury. I slipped into another guy's position. Oh, that guy quit. I slid into another position. And all of a sudden, you know, you're playing with a better player on your right side and along comes Tiger Williams, my big brother, my first big brother I ever had in hockey. You kind of took care of me. And Tiger's the most penalized player, in the, but he's the, one of the greatest people in my life. And uh, you don't you don't make it without that kind of support from just teammates or family or mom and dads. But I think those kind of steps and those opportunities open up. You got to jump on them. You got to grab them, and uh, you got the right coaching. You put you in the right spot with the right guys and the right situations. Don't put you out there sure. to fail. And so I kind of grew up with a good atmosphere and uh, lucked out and boom, next thing you know, I'm, I'm on a plane to Montreal signing my contract. So at eight, nine, 10 years old, were you then on a mission to be a great hockey player? Was that a very important part of your life? Or did you just really just play game by game and win? You know, did you have your eye on some championships, some goals, some leagues? I'm curious to know if, was this strategic or just great hockey play game after game that got you there? There were um, a lot of opportunities that came along in both baseball. Um, we did a lot of rodeos. We did a lot of uh, horse breeding. We did a lot of stuff that just were very athletic, you know, like it just kept us moving all the time. And when hockey season came, we jumped in with both feet. And mom and dad loved hockey. I had two uncles that were in the town next door that were great hockey players. Paulema LaBelle, our, probably our best player, Valmarie. And they are our early inspiration. We want to play for that hometown crowd and feel that crowd. And But your bigger dream is the NHL, and how do I get there? And that's when you start realizing that there's steps and people you got to – you need those support and that encouragement. There's dad driving me to Moose Jaw. There's dad driving me to Swift Current. There's dad driving me to Esteban, driving me to Shaunavan, and taking me to these camps to get me seen by scouts and uh, – Sure enough, you know, oh, the kid's not bad, but he's a little small. Oh, that kid, working on this a little bit more. And it was incentive because it gives you that sense of esteem and confidence, too, because I was so shy. And once you get out there and they say a couple of nice things about you, you're like, oh, gee whiz, I'm, I'm not that far away, maybe. If I just put on a little little height, I get a little bit bigger. And, and those are just gauges and steps you need to take. And I try to encourage kids, like, you know, you can't be a wallflower and you can't be too cocky, but – you got to be taking advantage of things. And my, my, I was on a mission about age 14, 15. That's when I really got on a mission because I was getting closer to that junior age and that college age where now I'm going to go, now I'm the next step before the NHL or the pros. Then I got on a mission Friday, Saturday night, guys were going out with girls. I was like, Hey, you guys crazy. We got a, we got a game tonight, two games tomorrow and another game Sunday. You can't go with your girls. He goes, Oh no, it's, 
it's Myrna Olson. Do you see how pretty she is? I'm like, okay, good point. But I, <laughs> you know, you, you, you have that mission in mind. And I did have a girlfriend for a short period of time, Swift Current. She's, she's like, uh, what, where are we going Friday night? I said, I'm going to be in like uh, Weyburn. I'm sorry. I, got, I, I don't know what you're doing Friday night. <laughs> so that didn't last very long, my little relationship. But uh, boy, she was a pretty girl too. But it's really fun being on that mission and having that support and getting those steps and that experience and engaging yourself against some of the other talent around the country. You know, it's, it's uh, um, interesting. When I look at your life from small town, big dreams really big dreams, especially, you know, when you look at the relativity of growing up in such a small town. The great thing about Canada is, is hockey is so accessible to young people. And, and every town has great hockey programs and great hockey leagues. And it's sort of like baseball was in America when I was a kid. It was everywhere, right? So right. every kid had an opportunity to play, had an opportunity to get good. There was equipment available for you to use and, and all of that kind of stuff. So certainly Canada cultivates those kind of players. But, you know, it's, it's, if there's anybody who has a great sensitivity to the power of the people around you, a team, fan base, a community supporting you. And then when I look at you, you growing up in Canada, spending time in Sweden, now living on Long Island, and this is not a political show, so I'm not going there, trust, don't worry. But when you look at the fact that people can't be a team today in society, the divisiveness, the isolation that's happened to us from COVID, and even political isolation with everybody taking sides and digging in and do you think that affects children today growing up who want to be professional athletes? Because I worry about those kinds of things that, you know, this divisive environment and this, I call it an isolating environment sort of trots, right? Between COVID and stuff going on in the streets. And, and there's a million reasons why people are just isolated today and kids aren't playing as much as they could. And, and do you worry, because I'm not getting political, I'm focused on isolation. Do you worry th that this is affecting us long-term? I think there's a, there, there, there's a worry we all have as parents, grandparents, uh, community-minded people, family-minded, uh, just friends, and how we, how we interact with um, our little world. And uh, I do worry, but I don't worry to the sense that I get, we have to be an example and I try to be a good example. I try to be responsible and I think storytelling helps. And that's part of our native culture storytelling and talk, talking about history and my grandparents and hunting with them and doing all these crazy things. And um, that helps my children, helps my grandchildren, helps my children raise their children. And we give them a sense of who they are, where they come from, what they want to do and how we achieve. And, um, you know, my, my grandkids think I'm the greatest thing since fried bread playing a guitar. <laughs> they don't know anything about my hockey. They, they think, oh, that my grandpa's the greatest guitar player ever. He makes songs about us. And I said, uh -huh. that's what I love. And, that, and I think we give, we bring joy. We bring a, that kind of um, semblance of uh, family history esteem and, and make them feel good about who they are. It kind of takes them away from some of the ugly that's in the world. And uh, some of that gets, I think it gets compounded a little bit by um, exaggerated, um, little hysteria, a little bit of this and, you know, media, media hype, whatever you want to call it. But I always say yeah. to myself, whatever sells um, happy doesn't seem to sell, you know, the other stuff. Newspapers, sells yeah. Better, sells better. But, um, but for, for the community and the sense of um, love and a sense of, you, you talk about unity and, just get along and stop the divisiveness. Just really kind of include. And I love that word inclusive because um, I didn't know what it meant growing up and all this stuff that was, you know, because we came from a very diverse part of Canada. There was French people. There was Norwegians. There were Native Americans. There were all different kinds of people. And everybody had a nickname for everybody, but nobody took it in a bad sense. Like nobody right. took it like ugly. And, uh, you know, we all, but everybody had to come we together. We could also to laugh at ourselves because, more. Yeah. We could laugh at ourselves more. Yeah, you laugh about it, but you all had to come together in order to get something done. Get little small communities. There's only so many hands that can get things done. And, um, you know, growing up on a farm is a family. Growing up in a community is a community. Like there, there was a wedding. There wasn't even an invite that went out. Everybody came to the wedding. Everybody brought some food. Wow. Everybody, everybody had a great time. Dad played some music. Whoever could else sing, sang, and it was just really kind of a community-minded sense of control. community. 
I, I, I'm in on that. And I just think uh, if, if we are overly concerned, try not to be. These are challenging times. Um, I try to remind us all that if we just be as responsible as we can, try to send out as many positive vibes as we possibly can, look at as much good as we can, um, and then let's overcome some of these challenges. Every time we come overcome a challenge, let's magnify that. Let's throw some hype on that and, uh, and, and, and rejoice and celebrate. Because I think uh, America, Canada, North America, the world, I think we all want to celebrate. We want to celebrate goodness. We want to celebrate championships and I don't know, hats off to Tampa Bay. You know, they, they get to wear the, uh, the Stanley Cup championship title for a year. Um, you know, we, we, we both kind of pulled that one out of the hat with our little, with our little, our little blue, uh, blue lights. Blue, we, we call Tampa. A, yeah, our but, new Amsterdam prediction. Yeah, we, we, we made it happen. We, we were the reason they won because we, we, we didn't jinx them. Anyway, um, no, <laughs> but I, I, I'm with you, John. I, I, I'm a little concerned, but not overly concerned. I think we can... We can overcome, we will, and I just believe with all my heart, we stay positive and good yeah. things are gonna happen. I wanna tap into your wisdom for a moment. You know, when you play on a team like you did, and play, you're laughing when I said I wanna tap into your wisdom. wisdom. I just, anybody who's not watching this on YouTube should know that when I said that, Trot started laughing. I don't know, I, I do, buddy. I wanna tap into your wisdom for a minute. You know, you played on teams your whole life. You didn't love everybody on that team, personally. You know, you, they, they weren't all your roommates. You didn't have dinner with every single one of them. You know, you played in leagues that you, that you had tension with certain players on the ice, you know, and reputations were at stake. And, you know, I look at a guy like you, uh, Brian, who's such a good guy, but can be tough as hell as a competitor, can be physical as a competitor if you need to be. You've learned how to balance uh, uh, fighting and respect, if you will. You've learned how to balance controversy and respect, if you will. As an athlete who has to deal with that on a team, is there any advice that you would give to us in just getting along with each other? And I know you're smiling and I'm putting you on the spot, buddy, but you have wisdom here. You do. And you have a positive spirit about finding the good. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that because right now, none of us are happy with our whole team, so to speak, <laughs> with the divisiveness out there. So, so well, how do I'm you deal with that, buddy? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not laughing at you or the question. I'm really kind of laughing at myself because I don't see myself as, 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 as a man of wisdom. I have tons of years of experience. And that's really what I rely on is the experience aspect of it the mentors I've had before me. Um, and and I've, I've had some great ones, starting with my parents, starting with uh, coaches, uh, teammates. And yeah, you don't get along with everybody, but come game time, you bind. And you don't go out with everybody. You, you have a, the guys you kind of hang with more often than the other guys, but you still bind. And, and you have to be on the same page. And that comes from really good coaching the culture of an organization leadership from within that locker room and uh, the coaching staff and, and and everybody cares about everybody it's a really important aspect you might not get along but you care and i think all those things help um i think when it comes to like uh um what we're in now and trying to stay positive and all that stuff i think you everybody's got some experience in their back pocket they can they can they can rely on they've got good people they surround themselves with and stay in that circle. Stay in that circle. Don't get pulled out. Don't go into somebody's ugly world. <laughs> stay right. in your circle where you you feel goodness and kindness and and support and uh, positive vibes. And that's what I've done. I've just kind of like I really kind of like I, I haven't made my circle smaller, but I just reached out a little bit more than I've ever had because of thank goodness for like Zoom and FaceTime and you know, the internet and all these wonderful, be able to connect with people in spite of this. And I just reached out and, and globbed on to the world that I know is really sending out the same kind of um, energy that I think I, gra I grabbed from you, but we all, we all want to feel that. It's a wonderful feeling. And uh, I get it from my grandkids. I get it from my children. I get it from like, God, just people that are just good neighbors, you know, like we moved in across these folks that got a pool. They said, come over, we're closing the pool on Saturday. One more swim, I said, we're in. And those are the kinds of things you grab onto, the, the, the good, the, the, the kind, the, uh, the gentle, the, um, the reward and the celebrations. We all wanna be a part of that fun part. And uh, 
that's a, that's my only little advice from my experience slash wisdom. But, but in essence, what you're saying, though, Trotz, is you know, start the day with the right attitude, and and then go up from there, <laughs> right? Not down much. from there. It is and, so and, much attitude. It is it is so much attitude, and you know, like we were we were brought up that you know you can uh, you, you can change your attitude just like that. You know, like it's like rebooting a computer. You can yeah. just like, okay, I have a bad attitude. Boom. I can just refocus. Boom. Reboot. Boom. Now I'm back in. And my attitude is boom. 90% of it. Most of the time, because then you'll get your energy. You'll get your focus back. You'll get, you know, you're on, you're on the right track again. And, and people tend to kind of be drawn into that and you're drawn into it too. That, that, that kind of uh, magnetic field, so to speak, that just kind of like, that guy's got a good attitude. You know, Mary Lemieux is not a great player just because he's a skilled guy. He's got a good attitude. attitude you want to yeah. be around those kinds of people. And when you look at like Hedman, how he conducts himself, they're going to be good champions. You know, you look at the, the, uh, their, their leadership, what they have on the team, John Cooper, you see, they look like good people. They're, they're, people want to be with that kind yeah, of an I'm attitude sure. and that kind of focus. So it's contagious. Get the nail on the head, John. Attitude it's contagious. is so important. So, Trance, did you ever, in all the hotel rooms you've stayed in over the years, and all the cities, and God knows how many hotel rooms you've stayed in over the years, have you ever had one of those nights where you get in bed and you say to yourself, what the hell am I doing here? You know, I'm not as good as these guys, or I'm not going to. Have you ever had those moments or those kind of nights where, where, where you've actually had those kind of thoughts? I think I, I, had, I had nights where I didn't want to say uh, I'm not – as good, but I want to get as good as some of these guys when I was younger. Um, so you, so were you disappointed in yourself those nights? Uh, you know, actually you kind of, you're not disappointed, but you find you can't let negative come, thoughts seep in. And, uh, and again, you, you're looking at older guys above you, you know, veteran players or, you know, uh, again, it could be family members that are going through challenging times, how they overcome it. And you, and you, and you see that oh, that's how you do it. Um, and, and then you, you kind of want to be like that. So we studied and I say, I, I go back to my hockey again, but we studied and I'm talking about our Islander team, the Montreal Canadians and how they conducted themselves, how they practiced, how they dress their dress code, how they, uh, how they treated people and, and how they, spoke on television how they interviewed and and we said that's how you become that's how you act as a champion you're not boastful you're not you're not uh you know walking the cocky walk or you you when you're just you're being true and you're respectful and you're appreciative and you're doing all these things that that a champion should do and i think those are the kinds of things that uh reflect well on you not just sitting there and being negative. Negative thoughts can creep in. You're at night and you say, you know what? I don't want to be that guy. I, I, want, I want to be, I don't want to be Mr. Positive every second of my life, but there's doubts, but you can't let them seep in and, and become heavy on your shoulder and keep you down. You, you see, they, they creep in. You're like, I'm like, yeah, I got to work a little harder to get like that guy. Oh, I got to do this to become like that. Or I got to work that. Oh, that's how you do it. And you just kind of maintain a certain, certain attitude and again, attitude, but I think all of us want to be, take nothing for granted either. Take everything and appreciate it and say to yourself, that was a step. That guy did a nice thing. Okay. And I got to do something nice for that because it goes around, comes around and there's a karma there. So it's just all those things wrapped or wrapped up in a wonderful, I, I call it your own little bubble. And you want to like, if we, the guys are in a big bubble in the plasma. Yeah. It's your own little bubble where you say, okay, this is, and I, I, I like, I want to like myself and I want to feel good about myself. And when something negative starts creeping in and it does, because maybe your ice time goes down, maybe you're not scoring, maybe you're, mm -hmm. you know, something's not happening that, you know, you have, don't have control about. I got to work harder. I got to get on that ice. I can't let guys see me down. I got to be positive about this. I can't let my kids see me down. I got to be, come home and be dad, you know? And so sometimes you got to put on the happy face, but at the same time, boy, you got to dig in and, find, find, find the character within yourself. And you, and most people do. I I'm, I'm proud of uh, us crazy athletes and human beings in, in general, because we find some character all the time, even though we don't, like you said, those little doubts start creeping in. You don't like yourself about it, but you know what you find character, you overcome. And 
you always, I always said like, you don't get a second chance. There's just lots of second chances you get. And, uh, you know, you make a mistake or something bad happens, just keep your nose to the grindstone. You know, I call those defining moments in our life, though, Trots. You know, in those defining moments, you could have gone in one of two directions. You could have gone into the self-pity direction, right, and doubted yourself, and that would have stunted your growth, right, and, and your attitude going forward. Or you could have chosen this path of, okay, I'm going to get better. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to grow. I'm, and that's an interesting fork in the road. And, you know, in my work in Bar Rescue, and I know, you know, you know my work well, that, that, that I deal with a lot of people who don't have that attitude and unfortunately took that other fork in the road, Trots, and did doubt themselves and did get into a depression and got into a position of inaction, you know, almost paralyzed by their failure. Whereas you didn't allow a bad game, a bad play, a disappointing moment, even an embarrassing moment on the ice when you were young. You didn't allow those things to get you down. You used them as a fuel for growth. You got to park it. You got to park it and you got to try to recognize that this is something out of my control. I got to, the things I can control. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's like you, like in your, your work, you can see it's failure after failure, and they keep doing, repeating, repeating the same things. Yeah. You got to change it up. You got to do something a little bit different. Um, yeah, you fall down, you get up. You learn that at a very young age, and you say, okay, like mistakes happen, but it's what you do after the mistake. You know, how? What do you do? You're gonna keep making that same mistake, or you're gonna do something that's gonna make it a little bit better. And that's what that's where we kind of self teach ourselves through making mistakes. And it's not horrible to make a mistake. Just don't keep making the same mistake. Yeah. You know, my mom and dad say, hey, you know, you make get, you find yourself in a bad spot. Make a decision to get out of that spot. Don't just stay in that spot and say, well, you know, now what do I do? You know, just yeah. get going. Like, keep moving. Um, you know, Brian no, Kilmeade. It, it, I, 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 I like your term defining moment because I had one of those at age 16 where I wanted to quit hockey. And I was going home at Christmas and I wasn't going back. Like, and the coach wow. called me the next day, the day after Christmas is, he must've sent something. And he said, are you coming to the game? I said, no, I'm not sure. I, I didn't tell him no, but I didn't, but he kind of says, okay, well, if you're not coming to today's game, practice tomorrow at 10. So he kind of knew, I think. And he sent Tiger down. He sent Tiger Williams down to get me and pull me back to Swift Current. I was like, Tiger, I don't think I'm going back. And he goes, oh, you're coming back if I'm kicking or screaming. And dad was sitting there where he always sits right beside the fridge. And he just looked up and he said, Brian, I think you should go back. You know, just, you can always come home. And hearing those words, you can always come home. Just kind of like, I took, took the weight off your shoulders. I'll go back. I'll go back. And he gave you a door back in moment. is what that he did. That was my tries. defining moment. Cause I could have went another path. Yeah. I was going to go but back. But he gave you a door back in, though. He gave you an opportunity yes. to walk needed, back in, which was important. I needed to hear that at a young age. You know, I was yeah. 16. I was, I, was, I was very homesick, too. I left when I was 14. I was home, I, and when you come home for Christmas, of course, mom makes all your favorite foods. You know, it's turkey. It's mashed potatoes. It's apple pie. It's raisin pie. I'm saying, I don't want to leave in this. I've got the good life here with mom. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't have the opportunity to go play hockey with some of the you know, the better players in, in, in uh, the Western Hockey League at the time and the competition. But um, I was homesick. And then when dad said, you can always come home. And I was like, yeah, I guess I can always come home. And that just took the pressure off. And I went back and Stan Dunn, my coach, didn't say anything. He just put me right back on the, in the lineup and bang. And right from there, it was like, I just started, I just felt like I was growing. Um, and yeah, then Jake Tiger played me a lot. And nobody beat Johnson. me up anymore. That helped too. Jake Steinfeld, body by Jake, is a dear friend of mine. And Jake always says, don't quit. And every text he sends me, every letter, he always signs everything, don't quit. And when you talk about what you just talked through, what a powerful life lesson is you can always quit tomorrow. You don't have to quit today. <laughs> and that frees you up at least for another day to go forward. And that, again, takes all that weight off your shoulder. I got an interesting question to ask you, and I've never, ever talked about this with an athlete before. And I say it on Bar Rescue often. You know, a lot of business owners say to me, and when they're failing, we're like a family. And I say, you need to be less like a family and more like a team. You see, families forgive each other in failure. Little Johnny didn't feel well today. You know, little Johnny tried his best. You know, little Johnny did a little. We make excuses in family, sometimes. 
Whereas when a team, when you drop the ball on a team, you're in trouble, you're accountable. When you're benched, there's a reaction to it. And I always say the difference between family and team is family has a willingness to accept shortcomings that a team just does not have or cannot have. And, you know, so I always try to create that kind of separation. You're a family guy and you're an unbelievable competitor. Do you agree with that premise? You're you're using some really good analogy and some really good comparisons. I think uh, family, you you kind of you 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 kind of if you so I have younger brothers. Well, they weren't be able to lift as much, so you kind of compensate for them. In hockey, for example, the weakest link. How do you compensate for that guy? Like he's got a certain amount of job description. He's got to get done on the ice. You have to at least do this. I can't cover up for you all the right. time. And it was really comical. I'll give you a short story. Uh, Pat Flatley was a rookie. He was a teammate of mine on Long Island and a really good hockey player. And he came from the from uh, the uh, Team Canada to the team. And Mike Bossy, my regular right winger, was out. And Pat had had a couple scoring chances and didn't put him in. And then he threw me a couple bad passes. But he was just a little bit uh, nervous, I think, as much as anything, and excitement or whatever. <laughs> And finally came back to the bench and he, he apologized like six or seven times in a row. Finally, I looked at him. I said, Flats, will you stop friggin' apologizing and just bear down? And he remembered that more than I did. And he, he, he said, oh, do you know how you barked at me? I said, I don't know if I barked at you. I thought, but I was tired of hearing you say I'm sorry. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, we, 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 I think you bring a good, a good analogy. The team aspect of things is, is so much in a family when, you're, when things are going well. And when things are going tough, a family rallies, a team will rally. And I think that's always a good reflection on both. When things are tough, rally time. Let's, let's rally. And uh, so if somebody's having a tough time, boom, let's rally. And I think that really shows – a really good uh, side to team and family. So um, I think you got, I like, I like your analogy. I think it's, it's awesome. Ah, thank you. So the Islanders are in the cup. Now this is incredibly exciting for you because it's in your blood. Obviously you, you, you're on Long Island. It's, it's become, you know, a big part of your life. You're loved there. You know that you're just loved where you are. So the Islanders now are in a cup. Does that cause you to contact old players? Is there a reason to call each other? Is there a reason to talk about it? Does it, you know, reinvigorate some of the old relationships? Absolutely. Yeah. We couldn't stop talking about it. We got in a little group chat and, uh, just, like just the old players? And it was great. And it was awesome. You know, guys were making little, like, wonderful comments about Barzell or Lee scored a nice goal or, you know, look at the goaltending and look at, like, they're on a roll. Oh, my God, they're four lines rushing. Matt Martin scored five goals yeah. in the playoffs. Or, like, it's really fun to see guys are engaged. And it is. It's in our blood. And, you know, as much as, you know, Long Island loves us, we love them right back. But that's really – kind of like where we all grew up and we have our greatest bond. Um, but I think for, to, it's, it's, it, be, it became beyond a bond. It's, it's a real kind of a brotherhood more than anything else. It's friendship beyond. It's a, it's a brother because we care. And when I, we talk about, when we get together, the guys all get together. It's kind of fun to talk a little hockey. That's not the bulk of it. We talk about grandkids and our kids and the successes some of the challenges and those are the that's the real energy that fires back and forth with us now because it is a brotherhood we we have a kind of a shared life and 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 we our past kind of follow a, a, for a while then all of a sudden our kids take off and our grandkids start achieving and and when somebody excels it's wonderful to celebrate with that group all over again because we all know how to celebrate together and it's really kind of a shared joy so um yeah, it was great to see the Islanders have that run this year. And it was great to kind of like keep connected because we all kind of connect here and there. But to that little group chat was really a lot of fun. Okay, I got three prediction questions for you. Can I throw you on some thin ice yeah. now, Trots? You know I was yeah. going to do this to you. Hello. Okay, it. first first we're going to make it easy. We got, we got Tampa Bay, pretty scruffy team. Played some great hockey. Played against a tough team in Dallas. I'm sure you agree. Not an easy victory, but man, did they come back strong after a loss. Really, really strong. So, and then of course the Islanders, who took down my Golden Knights magnificently. 
you know, and I don't think anybody expected them to take the Knights down as easily as they did, actually. I hate saying that, Trotz, but, you know, they, they, they got out of that series a lot easier than a lot of us thought they were going to. So I the agree. Islanders look incredible right now. Tampa Bay looks incredible right now. So three questions. One, okay. who wins the Cup? Who wins the Cup next year? Who, who wins? Who wins? Ooh, okay. Well... Prediction-wise, for I, I'm going to say Tampa is going to be right there again. I think the team, the top, the top four or five teams that we saw at the end are all going to be there again because they've got a level of confidence now. And if they keep that team, they're not a lot of free agent move, movement and injuries. But those teams will all be there again. It kind of who's coming up that's going to break into that top four. And uh, you know, I'd. I'd I'm such a McDavid fan. I'd love to see that kid shine at the highest level, which is the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, to get a taste of that. I mean, every player should have that taste of the Stanley Cup Final. I wish that for everybody. And everybody, I wish everybody could fe- have the feeling of winning a championship, but it's a little bit tough. But I think for, for all of us, that, that the greats of the game, the, the young kids that are coming up, and then we see them, and the spirit, the, the hard-checking, the – the Penguins want to be there again. I think that's good. The hunger, the hunger of the teams and the talent, the skill of the team is fun to see. And we all feed off that as hockey fans. We feed off that energy, that hunger and that skill and the, uh, the level of skill and, and, you know, those little battles and uh, great goaltending, big saves. I mean, there's just so many things that just kind of make, make the game of hockey fun, a fun game to participate in on one side on the other side to 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 engage as a fan and stay engaged even though I'm as long behind me like I, I really enjoy the sport and um, the battles and 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 the talk like even in, with, around our neighbors here that the, they're still talking hockey and it's great and here we are like going through COVID and a tough situation but hockey was on TV and everyone's kind of oh, and it was an exciting season sports. Yeah. Big pulled out a great season. It was exciting hockey, great overtime games. Okay, last question, buddy. Yeah. When was the last time you put on a pair of skates? Holy cow. I got to think about this. I played in the uh, Hall of Fame game, not this November, last November. So November of 2018. And I just got my hip done. And I was really uh, just shuffling around the ice. And Dag- Dale Howardchuck, Rest his soul. He just passed away from uh, from cancer. Threw me a perfect pass across ice. I tapped it in, and I sat on the bench for the rest of the night. Got my goal. I'm done. And I just cheered the guys on the rest of the night. Guys said, "Hey, thanks. We're getting more ice time because you're sitting out." I said, "Oh, you know what?" But uh, that was the last time I had my skates on. That was God a year and a half ago now. Oh, so. So I, I loved asking you this question. I'm going to make you tell the story again, buddy, then I'll let you go, of when you were sitting on the bench when you won the Stanley Cup. Now, you played a whole game of hockey. You had no injuries in that game, right? You were healthy at the end of that game. You win the Cup. You were sitting on the bench at the second that, that, that the horn rang. And what happened? I watched John Tenley cross-ice pass to Bobby Nystrom. I was resting fast for my next shift. I busted my nose, so I broke my nose in that in that uh, playoff early in the early in the playoff, Seriously. and they, they reset my nose dur- during the intermission. And I told the doctor that I said, "Be hitting that nose one more time." He kept hitting with a hammer, and I like, and he had these rods up there. And I had a little black eye from that, that but it, it was gone. I had no, I, I was so fresh, but I, you're dead tired. But I was, I was so, I still felt really like strong. And uh, Nystrom deflects it over Pete Peters. I'm a champion that minute. I leap over the boards. My right skate catches the top of the boards. I ended up tumbling onto the ice. <laughs> Dwayne Sutter grabbed me as I get up. We kind of do this jig. And then Kenny Morrow grabs me. And I never, ever got down to the corner to celebrate with the rest of the team with Bobby Nye. I think I got in the locker room before I got to Bobby Nystrom saying, that's my favorite goal ever. I've been telling them that for a thousand times ever since. It's still the highest moment I've had in my game of hockey. Whoa, was it scoring an overtime goal yourself? I said, no. Was it your first goal? No. Was it, uh, I, I said, no. My greatest moment in the game of hockey is Bobby Nystrom made me a champion for the first time. I'll never, ever stop appreciating that moment and Bobby Nystrom for that. Because in my book, he's Mr. Hockey, Mr. Long Island, whatever you want to call him. And he is my, my – I'm going to all 
all-time favorite people. He made me a champion for the first time. I almost wrecked my neck jumping over them boards. I, <laughs> I caught my foot. I, I love that story. I, I love that story. But, you know, Trotz, a lot of people who aren't sports fans listen to this podcast or maybe aren't hockey fans, too. And, and I learned a lot from talking to you that I just want to talk about for a moment. We talked about the fork in the road and how important that moment is, that defining moments in one's life. And if you choose that positive direction, how important that is. And if we can identify those moments in life that are our defining moments, like you did, and that coach helped you with that moment. That that defining moment can change the entire course of your life. The other thing that I know I learned today is the whole premise of quitting. That, you know, you don't have to quit today. You can quit tomorrow. You can quit the next day. You can quit, the, you can quit anytime you want. Opportunity doesn't come anytime you want. But the opportunity to quit exists every day. So, so that's a really other powerful lesson trots that I got out of this conversation. You know, and, and the other lesson that I got out of this conversation is, you know, how important your relationships have been in your life with your teammates, with your family, with your grandchildren, and what a large part that those relationships have played in your life and how they've kept you balanced with the pressure and competition of being a professional athlete. And then the last thing I think that we also learned is, you know, this whole attitude of getting along together. And if competitors who are competing over the most important championship of their lives can treat each other with respect, that, then certainly we can. So to suggest for a moment, buddy, that you didn't have any wisdom is unbelievable because that's a lot of wisdom that came out of talking to you today. So Brian Trotz, my buddy, I, I thank you so much for your time. This has been you know, a wonderful experience getting to know you, and I'm keeping you to your promise. Next time I'm on Long Island, I want to come over and see those rings. Done, and I want a godfather. But it's you a put a nice icing on the cake. You capsulize that very well. Thanks, John. My pleasure. It's good to see you, buddy. Be safe. Uh, thanks, man. Wow. I just got to spend an hour talking to a legend. What made Trothier a legend? Grew up in a small town. Nothing so legendary about that. Played hockey as a kid in Canada. Every kid plays hockey in Canada. Nothing so legendary about that. But sometime when he was eight, 10, 12, 14 years old, he started to be a competitor. He started to fight to win games, fight for his success. He had measurements. He knew if he won that day or lost that day when he went to sleep. Today in Little League, Corey, they don't even keep freaking score. How do you know if you won or not? Yeah. How do you know if you played well or not? When you look at all the things that made Trotz successful, we've taken them out of our society. The success of knowing that you can play better next time than you did this time. The success of losing with grace. The success of winning with grace. The success of playing with a teammate. The success of looking at your teammates and saying, God, I had a lousy game, guys. I'm going to work much harder next time. That's the act of a successful person. When we start to remove competition from life, I think we're removing the essence from life. And man, did I learn that today talking to Trotz. Think about it. What would he have succeeded in if he didn't fight for what he had and get along with the people around him? So success comes from competition, from knowing I lost today, Corey. If I lose today, you know me well. We've worked together for years. You know I'm going to fight harder tomorrow, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. I don't like freaking losing. You don't like losing either, Corey. No. When you make a video or you produce a product and you look at it and it isn't good enough, what do you do? Do you accept it or you go back and change it? You change oh, it every time. I'm going back, yeah. So fact of the matter is you don't allow yourself to be non-competitive. You're competing with yourself almost when you do this stuff. So we are in a competitive world. This podcast is competitive. I'm fighting for your time. Social media is competitive. We're fighting for your time and your attention. Television is competitive. We're fighting for your time and attention. And so is selling copy machines. And so is selling cars. And so is sweeping floors. The guy who sweeps the floors the best gets ahead. That's freaking life. And everybody whines Tuesdays. Oh, I'm not getting this. Oh, I don't get. Stop with the freaking whining. It's a time to be accountable to each other. It's the time to act like a champion. Look at Brian. Look at Trotz. Look at how he manages relationships with aggressiveness and competitiveness. Look at how he fought to get ahead, but built relationships as he did it, not enemies. There's so much to be learned 
from a hockey player about how success impacts their lives. And it's no different than the way it impacts yours. If you think that you don't have to compete for your future, you're crazy. And if you don't think that you've got to win those competitions to advance your life and your families, you're equally crazy. We are in a competitive world. We must learn to compete aggressively. Certainly, we should fight for what's best for us. But we also need to have compassion for each other and respect that the other guy is fighting for the same thing. And we can both fight together in the same arena and we can both win at the same time. That's the wonderful thing about life, you see, is we can all win. There doesn't have to be winners and losers. Trotz is a seven-time champion. I just want to be a champion at the end of my life one time, Corey. I would just like to know that I did something that was meaningful, that I somehow pulled people together, somehow broke down some barriers, somehow created conversations that maybe wouldn't have happened before. And if I can accomplish those things and have the love of my family and the respect of the people around me, I'm a freaking champion. And so would you. So there's a lot to be learned from a champion. There's a lot to be learned from what a champion went through to become a champion. And then how the champion behaved once he was a champion. So I think this was one of my favorite podcasts personally. And I know I'm going to now say goodbye to you, Corey, and go out and find a way to be a champion today. And I think everybody should do it too.